The views and opinions expressed on WXOJLP are solely those of the original hosts of their respective programs. These views and opinions do not necessarily represent those of Valley Free Radio Incorporated, its volunteers, or any other hosts, guests, or programs on this station. Due to the ongoing pandemic and to follow social distancing guidelines, this episode of Civil Politics was pre-recorded over Skype. And welcome to Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm Michael Dow, hosting tonight. I'm joined as usual by uh, producer and constantly put upon person, John Roberts. (laughs) (laughs) And our cult leader emeritus, Sue Timberlake. Hey there. We're also joined by my good friend uh, and special guest, uh, Fran Carr, who's a freelance reporter with the West River Eagle out of Eagle Butte, South Dakota, uh, and also is publisher of the website Goat Rodeo News. Hi, everybody. Welcome. So uh, so uh, before we get into that, I'm going to let Fran tell us a little bit more about those two news sources she's involved with. Uh, but uh, we do love to hear from our listeners, and you can get in touch with us in a few different ways. Uh, email is civilpoliticsradio at valleyfreeradio.org. Uh, Facebook.com slash civilpoliticsradio is our community there. And at civilpoliticsfm is how you tweet at us if that's, you know, if you're brave enough to go in there. And uh, we do also have our own uh, dedicated website, uh, which is civilpoliticsradio.com. And that has links to our a uh, dedicated Google search of trusted news sources that we've all agreed upon, uh, links to uh, things we talk about, recordings of previous episodes of the show, and even a few supplemental episodes that are only available there. <clears throat> so Fran, um, uh, I've known you since college, but others have no idea who you are. So, <laughs> and they might think you're in South Dakota and you're not. So, so brief rundown, if you don't mind. Uh, I'm not in South Dakota. I'm in Massachusetts right now. I actually live in Ohio, but I write for a newspaper in South Dakota. The West River Eagle newspaper is the paper of record for Zeebock and Dewey counties in South Dakota. It is in the town of Eagle Butte, which is the capital city of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe Nation. Uh, And their reservation is the size of the state of Connecticut and has about 8,000 people on it. So it's a wonderful intersection of indigenous culture, rancher, Western cowboy culture, um, and just a really fascinating place. Sorry, I'm just imagining Connecticut with only 8,000 people in it. I was, I was in a happy place. Sorry, keep going. Just think about <laughs> I was going. I was going back to my early years, so there you go. It, everything is vast, <clears throat> and the number of people is very spread out. Uh, You also mentioned Goat Rodeo News, which Uh is a news source uh, that we publish daily. We aggregate news from across the political spectrum and across the world. It is guaranteed as best as we can to be propaganda free. So we do not aggregate misinformation or disinformation. We do aggregate news from different political spectrums, and it's organized into various daily updates. So if you're interested in veterans or in national security or in F1 racing, we have an aggregator for that. 
and we publish original content on Sunday mornings. So nothing about the uh, international communist conspiracy cor corrupting our, pure, our precious bodily fluids by fluoridating the water, but, but plenty of stuff about how uh, uh, socialism is good and or bad, depending on who's right. Mike, Mike, shh, shh, don't, you're not supposed to let people know about that. What, what are socialism? you doing? Oh. <laughs> we, we don't drink bleach either. Right. <laughs> so, um, <coughs> excuse me. So I asked Fran to join us uh, today, uh, well, in part because she's, you know, here in Massachusetts, give me a hand as I start to deal with the house full of things um, that have been left to me. But also um, because Fran has been uh, working on a series of stories about the U.S. Census and how it's uh, uh, how it affects uh, the the people who live in the Cheyenne River uh, Reservation, um, who you know, as as part of that uh, uh, that nation are you know, have a long history of having to be, uh, having to claw and fight for anything they can get uh, from the world and the U.S. government uh, uh, being really crappy to them, uh, I suppose is a simple way to put it. <clears throat> and uh, so I know that there, it's, a, it's a complicated uh, relationship, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a, uh, a fascinating microcosm of some of the bigger issues that face the whole country, uh, even those of us who, you know, are as Yankee as all get out like me, and are like, yay, America's great, you know, but still, you know, uh, the, the census is important for all of us and uh, it, in part because it helps the government allocate things fairly. So, uh, Fran, you were telling me about um, uh, the difficulties of, of making, uh, doing the census in, I think they're called hard to count hard areas. To count I think two important <clears throat> themes have come out from the research that I've been doing. And one of them is how the census has been used as a tool of colonization, which I did not expect to learn. And secondly, the difficulties around hard to count communities. And Mike asked me to do the challenging thing of making that applicable to Massachusetts. And I do think it is. Um, at the beginning of we've, the summer- We've done the coloniz colonizing longer, yeah, but it's still it's here. True. Um, but in terms of hard to count, um, at the beginning of pandemic, the census put a pause on its in-person enumeration and stopped back in uh, May, um, April and May, stopped doing a lot of their activities until it became clear how the pandemic was going to work out. And at that time, they extended the deadline to respond to the census to Halloween. And um, the, act the in-person activities started up again in the end of July. And really into August was when the in-person enumerators were gonna be going out to the hard to count communities all around the country. So all the rest of us have responded to the census either by mail or by internet. Um, the census usually gets about a 65% national response rate and actually we're at 66% right, right now. Um, and that's the early, like early voting, early census taking. The hard to count communities are ones that are very rural that don't have a telephone, that have high unemployment or a lot of cash assistance through food stamps or actual cash assistance, and communities that are linguistically isolated. So that would be people who only speak their native language as their first language. Uh, the, that, a language that is in English. Yes. I mean, yeah. um, and then also 
communities that have a lot of immigrants, they're terrified of the census. Mm. So the in-person enumerators have to go out door to door to convince people that it's worth filling out the census and that, no, you shouldn't stick your mean dog on me or threaten me with a gun, um, all of which happens. And then people get chased off property with cars racing after them. Um, and then explain to them why it's important. And people don't understand that the census is actually a legal requirement. Every person in the United States, citizen or not, has to fill out the census. <coughs> you want me to keep going? Excuse me, sorry. Um, uh, well, sure, but I, I also wanted to give a moment for John and Sue to hop in if they wanted. <laughs> I know this. this I'm, yeah. All right. I'm just listening. <laughs> okay. I don't. I got nothing to add. Like I'm. I, all I can say is yeah. Talking <laughs> <laughs> about the census. Yeah. Um, well, and it's almost almost to the end of the census, right? This is the, the because of the virus. Some you know, some of the timelines are off. Well, they extended and then they cut back the deadlines, right? Right. So in what was the original deadline? For, for you know, I honestly don't know. Ah, okay. <laughs> I think I should know that, and I don't, because by the time I came into the story, it had already been extended. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's so pre-COVID. Yeah. Right. Right. So it was extended to Halloween, and now it's... And then in July, the Trump administration started putting pressure on the Census Bureau. Um, first off, they wanted to pass a resolution that you could use census data only of citizens in the apportionment of representation. And that got struck down. But I mean, they, they lost that case at the Supreme right. Court. So, <laughs> so, so they were trying to do it again anyways? Yes. Right. Um, John Roberts loves that. <laughs> and then they put pressure on the Census Bureau to pull in the deadline to the end of September. So it's a whole month of time that in-person enumeration isn't happening. And in the hard to count communities, particularly on um, Indian reservations or in Alaska, all the places where we've got higher concentrations of indigenous people living on their indigenous land, the impact is dramatic. On Cheyenne River, they got CARES Act money that was based on the 2010 census numbers. And uh -huh. I think the percentage in 2010 was around 20%, maybe less uh, of households that responded. And so it's millions and millions of dollars that are not getting to the the communities that could use them the most. Because census, census data is used for housing, for education, for roads and bridges, um, for social service programs, um, and I don't know if I mentioned education. And in Indian country, it's used also to agitate for indigenous rights. And it was important in here in Massachusetts with the Wampanoag saying, We've, we have the census data to support our claim that we can have our own reservation. So there's layers and, and layers and, of issues. And that was the that's still that fight's still ongoing, right? The Trump administration just did something. Yeah, they took What did they do again? They, I'm sorry. They, I should know this. They took away their reservation. They had just won it recently, and then the Trump administration took it away. Hmm. Um, and I don't know what, what happened after that. That was in the mid to late summer. But I'll, I'll talk about colonization for just a minute. I've learned all about the census and been like, rah, rah, the census is great. Everybody should fill out the census. And Native people I encounter say it's a tool of white supremacy and of colonization. And 
that a lot of Native leaders see the, the modern census as a real tool towards tribal stability and sovereignty and building up Native people. So I did some digging trying to figure out why does it feel so threatening to other people. Um, and I learned that back at the end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s, there, the census still had its mandate from the constitution to count every person, but they would not count Indians as people. They were not enfranchised as actual people unless they wore white clothes, lived in a white town, paid taxes. If you didn't pay taxes, they wouldn't count you. Uh, so people who were still trying to live in their teepees out on the range in the way that they had always lived before were literally not counted as human beings. Hmm. Um, so there's, there's, it just goes back centuries and centuries. And so I think the shift into thinking about the modern census as a tool of empowerment is a really hard one for people to make. And I've heard lots of tribal chairmen speak so eloquently about it. And then there are others who are like, eh, who cares? So if you haven't filled out your census, please do so out there in listener land. They're probably thinking something along the lines of, you know, that uh, great point Audre Lorde made, you know, you cannot use the master's how tools to disable mm -hmm. the master or just to tear apart the master's house. I think I can't remember. Uh, there is a lawsuit that the Navajo nation and the Gila river nation are, uh, have filed in California to get the deadline extended back to October. So we'll have to see how that goes. I will let you know. Hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, just so everybody knows that the that we do have a link to the census, um, to uh, on that will be on the website in the show notes uh, for the podcast. If you look there, and it, simply it's just census.gov. It's very simple. Please go there if you haven't <laughs> done the census. Please, please. By the way, uh, because of the last census, Massachusetts lost a congressional seat. Yes. So the more people yeah. we have, the more likely we are to get uh, that seat back. That's mm -hmm. correct. Double so, eating people. <laughs> fill out your census no matter where you are because you if, if the population of a given area goes down, then the power of that area goes down. The power that you can exert on the federal government, on your state government, it goes down. Everybody needs to, it, if you want to just remain effective in your community this is what politicians just look at how many people live in this community who they vote for blah 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 but you mean, you mean the way that eastern mass like ignores western mass because most <laughs> of the people live east of worcester you mean like that you, you mean like we how we lost the seat but it was in western mass yeah huh. yeah yeah exactly huh. i'm gonna put in a plug here for the american community survey which is run by the Census Bureau. It happens every year. And so it surveys one fifth of the population every year over the course of the decennial census, every household will get surveyed twice. And it goes into much more detail. This, the regular census right now only has 10 questions. Your name, your birthday, uh, are you the head of household? What your ethnic orientation is? Uh, Boxes or briefs. Yeah, I mean, it's really basic. Yeah. Cool thing and, and is, just to go, 
go back a little bit, it is that you all probably remember the big fight last year over putting that question on the census that finally went to the Supreme Court and they took it off. And it was whether or not you were, yeah, whether you were a citizen. Yeah. And uh, it really would have squelched people responding, I think. What's really really cool about the ethnic identification question is that you can choose sort of the big categories, white, Hispanic, whatever, and then you can drill down. So if you pick, like I picked white, I can choose Irish, Scottish, English, Ukrainian, Russian, plain American is one option. Mm -hmm. If you're native, you can choose uh, several different affiliations and there's no proof. You don't have to have blood quantum. You don't have to be an enrolled member. You can just say, I identify as uh, Turtle Mountain and Cheyenne River and Flandreau. And all of that will increase the bargaining power of those tribal entities. So interesting. Anybody could say, I identify and nobody's going to check it. Can we um, just uh, have a quick definition of blood quantum? Because I think that's very important. Right, right. And, um, and, and avoid a Liz Warren joke, please. We're big fans of her here in Massachusetts, or at least I am. Uh, the, the Native people that I know will say the only things that are counted by blood in the United States are horses, dogs, and Indians. Um, hmm. They look at what percentage of your blood is of your particular tribe. Now, Cheyenne River does not do that. You can be a member of Cheyenne River because your family is, is from Cheyenne River. You don't have to prove that I'm 50% Cheyenne River and 50% something else. But a lot of tribes uh, require you to be a certain percentage of that tribe in order to be a member, um, which is kind of tough if you're say you're an enrolled member and you marry somebody from another tribe, your children will not be able to be in the same tribe that you are in. And it's it's left over from colonization days. So that's right. Boo. The same kind Boo. of logic that led to all you know, uh all kinds of uh uh segregationist Jim right. Crow laws and whatnot, you right. know. Whether you're a quadroon or an octoroon. Right. And <laughs> your kids are free or enslaved. Right. Uh, fun I, re- stuff. I really like that word, honestly. I shouldn't, but it's just so fun to say. It sounds like Which a one? delicious cookie, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, see, uh, see, we're we're talking about octoroon. Yeah, octoroon. Oh, octoroon. Yeah, but yeah, the the one drop of blood rule that um yeah. really has screwed over pretty much anyone non-white yeah. uh, for like the bulk of the country's existence. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Really top notch. Um. <laughs> So oh, horrifying. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, how, <laughs> yep. So, what are the reported counting rates uh, here in Massachusetts? Uh, I was looking over your shoulder earlier, and I was surprised that uh, it looks pretty good through most of the state, except down on the Cape. <laughs> so, the overall response rate for Massachusetts is sixty-eight point five. Uh, the whole country, I think, was at seventy-seven, which was surprisingly high. Um, no, 66. The national 66, response rate yeah. is 66. Okay. Massachusetts is 68.5. Uh, Berkshire County is 62.6. Franklin, 72.6. Hampshire, 74.9. Woo-woo! 
Hampton, 69.7. Um, weirdly, Suffolk is low at 57.9. Well, there's a lot of, you know, that's that's the urban center with mm -hmm. Boston and everything like that. So it's going to have all the, the migrant communities yeah. and, and the, the, the people of color who, for some reason, don't entirely trust the government. Right. Gee. Austin, Brighton, and all the um, the new communities, the folks that are immigrating to the, you know, to Boston and those neighborhoods from uh, wherever they, you know, have escaped from. Used to be Italian and Irish, and now it's all kinds of folks from all over, um, all over the world. So Norfolk and Middlesex are both at seventy four, almost seventy five percent. Barnstable County down the Cape is at fifty percent, and then the islands are at thirty percent. Huh. It's kind of interesting. That's interesting. Still higher than South Dakota, which is in the teens. South Dakota, really? Well, the, in the tribal areas. Oh, wow. What's the state overall in South Dakota? 66, I think. I had it up on my screen, but now it's gone. Huh. So the whole state's doing a lot better than yeah. the weird. Yeah. I was going to say, is there any effect of people that don't have internet? Like, I mailed mine back because I'm like that. But a lot of people do it online now, so they don't have to do stamp or anything. Do you think it's possible that it's access to internet that's a problem? Oh, very, very much so, because there's not internet everywhere. Uh, and there's the cell coverage is almost impossible. So the enumerators go out with an iPhone that has a census app on it, and they can enter people's data right there. But they have to, like, walk up to the top of the hill and find uh, somewhere that there's a signal. Yeah. Oh, so it can transmit. Yeah. And if, and if memory serves, there was um, uh, an effort by the governor of South Dakota last year to, um, or what, maybe it was for the 2018 election, but to like limit the ability of people to register to vote based on whether or not they had permanent addresses. And, oh, that's right. And, and, you know, like, but depending on whether you had a permanent address with which state office and mm -hmm. certain addresses didn't didn't count and they were count. basically all the kinds of addresses that people who live on the reservations would have. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. So of course those people also aren't getting sent to this thing. So right. that's further cutting in. Right. Yeah. Because like uh, there was a Senate race that apparently like had, had turned on the native vote actually saying, fine, we'll give this Democrat a chance. And <laughs> South Dakota has one congressperson in the whole state. Right. And cause there's not even a million people there. Right. There's 800,000. Right. Um, and two senators. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yep. Oh, yeah. So it just looks, South Dakota's response rate is 66.6. .6, the national response rate is 66. So it's right in there. But if, as you drill down into the tribal areas, it gets a lot smaller. So the last time I reported on this, on September 7th, the national rate was 65.3. And then I listed various tribal areas. Flandro at 51, Yankton at 42, Sisseton at 40, Standing Rock at 34. So those are all smaller tribal areas, smaller reservations um, that are a little bit closer to towns, not Standing Rock. Standing Rock mm. is like Cheyenne River. It's really very rural. Lower Brule, 26% Crow Creek, which is not in South Dakota, but it's a tribe that has a lot of similarities to Cheyenne River. Mm. Crow Creek is at 25. Cheyenne River was at 26. Turtle Mountain, which has a very strong advocate for the census in their chairman, is at 21. And then Rosebud and Pine Ridge are the poorest places in the United States. 
These are areas that never conceded to the United States in the Indian Wars. Um, they Oh, Red the, Cloud Territory. Mm -hmm, to this day, mm. they say, we have not conceded. We are an independent place. Mm. It's extremely poor, extremely rural, and they're at 19%. And then the Navajo Nation, which is large and wealthy, is at 18%. I would have expected their rate there's to be higher. You mean down in like Arizona, Arizona. New Mexico? Okay. Yep. Four corners. Okay. Yep. Huh. Um, Why? They're being <clears throat> devastated by coronavirus, so that might have something to do with it. Huh. Yeah. So there's my spiel on the census. So is Navajo Nation, where is it that they put up roadblocks, the... the you know, the Indian tribe itself put up roadblocks because it's a sovereign nation and the feds were trying to sue them to take them down. That is Cheyenne. Is that the nope, that's Cheyenne River. Yeah. That's Cheyenne River. Yeah. yeah. And Those it's so horrifying that the, the federal government just makes up the rules, whichever way they need to do something. They just say, oh, no, that's not covered by the treaty. That doesn't count. It's, it's, it's shocking. I guess it's so American, but it's really Yeah, is it shocking? shocking. Really? I went and I no, read. not really. I read the documents, the like highway maintenance documents, like back in the 70s, the federal government is going to put a culvert in here. And it says that after a 15 year period of time, that ownership of that reverts to the tribe. I mean, it's crystal clear in the documents that the tribe yep. owns the land and owns the road and has the authority to put up the checkpoint and their health checkpoints. They are not roadblocks. Um, but it's become a really inflammatory issue. Uh, there was a letter to the editor in a, a local paper where he talked about being chased down by masked men. Well, of course they're wearing masks. It's a coronavirus <laughs> pandemic. But the way the guy wrote it was like, I didn't stop my car. It was an illegal roadblock, a group of men carrying guns and wearing masks. And I wasn't about to stop because I didn't know what would happen to me. I, like what? What planet are you yeah. <laughs> yeah. The subtext was that he was a white guy and the people at the roadblock were natives. So that, but that's like hidden underneath. <clears throat> Shocking. Yeah. So, so um, why is the Cheyenne River tribe, I know this is getting off the census a bit, but why are they uh, unusual in having set up these health checkpoints on the roads? When other, you know, there are other reservations with similar levels of sovereignty that presumably could do the same thing, but they don't. Is, uh, it, a, is it a cut through? Because I thought there was some of it was the trucks were cutting through the, the right. reservation. Well, there is another tribe that did it. And then at the same time, they put up roadblocks down in the Florida Keys. You know, you can't come in unless you prove that you live here and you take a, a health screening and then you quarantine for two weeks once you get past the roadblock into the Keys. And nobody reported on that. Um, I think, Interesting. Yeah. I think that the Cheyenne River roadblocks came up because Christy Nome is the governor. And she doesn't like people exercising that kind of authority. Um, and while she said they can do it on the side roads and on the, the tribal roads and the BIA roads, they can't do it on the state roads and, and the tribe was like, we can, this is our property. We are a sovereign nation. Um, yeah, the state so, road belongs to them. So I think it was just that the, the relationship was already a little bit tense. And because national attention has been on that area of the country before because of the Standing Rock protests. Yeah, for over the Keystone XL 5.0. Right. <clears throat> right. 
So actually, I'm just noticing we're uh, approaching the halfway point here in the show. So uh, maybe we should uh, take a moment to play some PSAs, promos, and station IDs. Does that make sense, uh, Mr. Producer? Mm, I deem it so. <laughs> <laughs> you may continue <laughs> with the show break. I was thinking when we go to warp, I could say, it's warp time. Does that work for you? <laughs> Move along, lower decks. And and the and and the segment, Mike. Just 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 let's let's move it on. Yeah, let's go. Understood, yeah. sir. All right. Well, so we are going to play some PSAs, promos, and station IDs. Uh, keep the FCC happy with us here at Valley Free Radio, and uh, then we'll be back with more civil politics and who knows what else uh, kinds of hijinks will ensue. But don't go away. We'll be right back. Table of Contents is a weekly music program that assembles an assortment of songs and sounds of many genres, and which may entail literally taking a random collection of musical sources off the shelf and giving them a turn on the table or spin in a CD or tape player, each week presenting shows which can at times be organized orderly and at other times perhaps be not as much so, yet never dull. Tune in Friday nights, 10 p.m. till midnight on WXOJ LP, Northampton 103.3 FM. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hey, this is Wendy, host of Valley Free Radio's Subculture Music Program, featuring new wave, post-punk, indie, and electronic music from the 70s to today. Join me every Friday night from 8 to 10 p.m. here on WXLJ, or stream it live from your favorite listening device at valleyfreeradio.org. The Forbes Library staff would like to remind you of the incredible resource that you have in your local public library. We have tens of thousands of books for you to check out, music CDs, movies, newspapers from around the region, the state, and the country. We have a wide variety of magazines and free computer and internet access every day. We also have our incredible reference services there to help you answer particularly vexing problems. All of this is free, locally available at 20 West Street in Northampton, so come by and check us out in person or at www.forbeslibrary.org or call 587-1011 for more information. Science is real from the Big Bang to TNA. Join me for Evidence-Based Radio Friday nights from 6 to 7 p.m. to learn more about science and skepticism. You can email questions or topic requests to evidencebasedradio at gmail.com. That's Friday nights from 6 to 7 on Valley Free Radio. And we're back with Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio, WXOJLP 103.3 FM out of Northampton, Massachusetts. I'm still Michael Dow. I'm still here with Sue Timberlake. Hey there. And our long-suffering uh, producer and prognosticator, John Radamus. Uh, uh-huh. Yep. Hi. 
You knew I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know who's going to win the presidential, John Radamus. <laughs> Biden. Biden, okay. Yeah, well, he's going to win the popular vote anyways, and surely that's all that matters in a democracy. So, yeah. So speaking of uh, everything sort of being on fire and terrible, uh, how about uh, all the stuff that's on fire and terrible out in the West Coast? Uh, Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Well, I forget how many, um, we were talking about them before, climate, um, climate um, refugees yeah. that we have in our country. <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I think that's an appropriate term for people who've been displaced because of these fires. I think half a million people in Oregon uh, alone yeah. have been, have been forced out of their homes. And, you know, the state's population is about 5 million people. I don't know. It's possible that those were projections as opposed to actual numbers. So I'm sure we can find a, we'll have an article that will have more precise information in there. Um, you know, but what a huge, huge impact on the fires in California and Gavin <laughs> Newsom and, um, uh, I forget who else was was sort of speaking to just the uh, the intensity of it and and the climate impact it, and that we was really it Senator are, Kamala Harris also of California. It might have been, it it might have been. Gee, that makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah. But that whole thought process where for a while um, I forget who it was. His he who will not be named, which is how some of my <laughs> Democratic <laughs> family members talk about you know who. <laughs> so um um that he was saying that it was forest management that's that's what's causing the problem and people are like right. that is so out of left field it is true that they could spend millions more to you know clean up the underbrush and do all that but yeah it's not going to um it's not going to impact what's happening right now and i forget the the um the in, there's been some comparative numbers about how many acres have burned and it, it's just, it's intense and it's been intense for the last five years and it gets intenser every year. Well, uh, and to connect to uh, our, our previous segment where we were talking about the census uh, and, you know, its connections to uh, the history of colonizing and whatnot. Um, one of the reasons why uh, forest management in California, say, isn't as good as it used to be uh, is because uh, the legacy of people like John Muir, who, uh, you know, the great evangelist for the pristine beauty of Yosemite, but he thought that pristine beauty uh, didn't include the uh, Indians who lived in the area. And, uh, you know, the simple truth is that it was a managed landscape long before any European types like, like me got there. So, um, but John well, didn't see that, so. Yeah. Well, and the manage, the way you manage a forest is very different depending on what you're managing it for. Yes. And, um, you know, we talked on one of my other shows to the people who um, handle the blueberry barrens that are up in the, I think they're in Leverett or up that way here in Western Mass. Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah, the, the Indians used to burn, burn the barrens and keep them. They'd been, they'd been managed for hundreds of years before, you know, before us. So it, it's, you know, us white people, I meant. Um, yep. So it's, it's very interesting that we, we have these perceptions about how things should be done. And there's huge battles over the, um, the aquifer here in Northampton. And people want to go in and, you know, take out the valuable timber and all that. And it's like, that actually isn't the most helpful for the, for the water, you know, for the aquifer, to protect the aquifer. But that's, 
you know, that's the, I'll call them Western foresters. That's how they think. It's very different than if you're really thinking about what what the outcome is, what the goal is. I, I'm not sure I know what that story is. You mean like the town water supply? Yeah, they, they've been, um, they've been um, trying to have foresters come in and quote, manage, manage the, the property and cut down all the valuable timber because then you can get some money for it. And mm. it, you know, it's sort of at odds with the people. You, if you if you're interested, if our listeners are interested, the Enviro Show has covered this extensively and had all sorts of experts from all over, um, you know, the country to talk about sort of forest management. But that's a different. You know, you you're you're working to protect the aquifer so that the water supply is pristine. You know, and you know, putting logging roads in aren't always the best idea when you're trying to protect an aquifer and from you know all kinds of things. So it's, but uh, it's a huge debate. Uh, so, aren't but always I was, the best idea. When are they a good idea? <laughs> it. So, <laughs> I think I think I'm getting beyond my knowledge. Right, <laughs> I'm right on the enough. edge of it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but the Enviro show they they do a really good job of it. But that thought of forest management you know, it's not a one-term fits all hmm. process, you know, it's sometimes not. it's to protect certain kinds of hardwoods and sometimes it's to do this and sometimes it's for that. And, and, and only the wealthiest of neighborhoods can prune all their forests around their houses so that there's no underbrush or anything like that. If you're in a rural area, you know, there's just not enough money to do that. It's not even underbrush there. Um, you also have to, uh, contend with controlled burns um, to make sure that the uh, that the stuff that needs to burn does, because that's how forests take care of them itself. Mm. You know, like yeah, they used to burn. They used to just burn, and yeah. they would be a lot of that would be gone to the smaller trees, so they don't like the taller trees. That's part. That's yeah, part of I, it. Yeah. Um, and uh like controlled burns and yes like taking care of the forest floor but just breaking everything up is not going to solve the problem of dried out leaves and dried out trees because there's not enough water and because there's like major droughts because california there's been record like worldwide record temperatures yeah like 121 degrees in gobi in in, um in death valley yes Well, I mean, Death Valley yeah. is always going to be super hot, but yeah, it, but it, still, that's a record for Death Valley, right? And yeah. and they had sim- they had temperatures that were almost as hot for days on end in Baghdad, yeah, you know, in Iraq. And again, it's a place known for being hot, but the the it was like, no, this is this is too much. We're living in the desert in Iraq, and we're telling you this is too much. <laughs> so. Well, in, in Europe and in, in, uh, England has had record temperatures, you yep. know, heat-wise. Heat and then we could go to the rainfall. That's the other, the other side of this. But oh, yeah, because there's um, six tropical, uh, uh, tropical cyclones in the, uh, you know, in the Atlantic right now. <laughs> well, cyclones are in the um, other hemisphere, right? So hurricanes? Uh, uh, am, I, uh, well, no, am I mistaken? Well, uh, uh, I mean, a uh, cyclone is a hurricane, but I thought that the, they use the word cyclone for in the. Um, I believe you know, that near Japan. I believe, uh, so Jama can look this up, but my understanding is the term tropical cyclone just means like when you get like a tropical depression that becomes a tropical storm, and in the uh, Atlantic they're hurricanes, and in the Pacific they're typhoons. 
but like any of those swirling uh, uh, high temp, you know, warm temperature uh, tropical storm systems that form. So um, our tropical cyclone is a rapid rotating storm originating over tropical oceans where it draws the energy to develop. It has a low pressure center and clouds spiraling towards the eye wall surrounding the eye, the central part of the system where the weather is normally calm and free of clouds. Its diameter is typically between 200 to 500 kilometers, but can reach 1,000 kilometers. A tropical cyclone brings very violent winds, torrential rain, high waves, and in some cases, very destructive storm surges and coastal flooding like we've seen uh, yes. lately. The winds blow counterclockwise in the northern hemisphere and clockwise in the southern hemisphere. Tropical cyclones above a certain strength are given names in the interest of public safety. So right. different terminology. Oh, interesting. In the Caribbean Sea, North Atlantic Ocean, the East Air, they're called hurricanes. In the West, Western North Pacific, they're called typhoons. Bay of Bengal and Arabian Sea, it's called a cyclone. In Western South Pacific and Southeast Indian Ocean, it's called severe tropical cyclone. And in the Southwest Indian Ocean, it's called a tropical cyclone. Hmm. Good to I'll know. Put, I'll, uh, I'll post this. It's um, from the World Meteorological Organization because I can... I can uh, yeah. say names and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, and of course, uh, this, uh, uh, you know, so we're getting terrible flooding in, in Florida along the Panhandle. We had earlier flooding along the, the Gulf from the terrible storm surge, not, not from Sally, but from the previous terrible hurricane we had this year. Um, and, 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 I mean, we, I started us off by just thinking about the fires out west. And you guys have seen like the photos and videos of like uh, the the flames, uh, you know, in the the foothills near the Golden Gate Bridge, or you know, the San Francisco skyline highlighted against burning hills, and the the the, the Mount Wilson Observatory in Los Angeles, and all that stuff. Like you guys have seen all that, I presume. Um, and if yeah, not, yeah, and the and the very bad um, air quality, yeah. so bad in fact that people that have even no um, asthma problems are trying to stay inside and right. wear masks and well, yeah, in, in, intense. And intense. the smoke's, the smoke's and reaching us here in, in New England. I saw that on one of the news show, the weather shows the other day, they were showing that the, you know, the haze that you could see was actually from the California, yeah. the West Coast fires. Well, I well climate heard change many... isn't a thing. Yeah. Well, I haven't heard too many people sort of, noticing how you know it's like how long ago it was only at the beginning of the year that we saw similar uh and and even more extreme photos of fire destruction from australia yeah because you know. they've had the and their season is sort of opposite ours but right yeah and it's and it is the droughts and it is the high temperature it's all that yeah. And wasn't there some um oh there's some is it QAnon some crazy um group that spreads rumors and they were saying that the Antifa people were starting the fires in Oregon or something. Yeah. There's like this horrible just um, and and Ray who's head of the FBI has been saying that Russia is sort of involved with trying to undermine um, Biden as a candidate. Yeah, I mean he said it under oath. Um, Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI was saying that. It's just it, it, it feels like it's a time where it's very hard to read the news and sort through 
you know, sort of who's doing, who's doing what, who's, who's trying to cause confusion and who's trying to cause clarity. It's a, well, I think, it's a I think something we can all agree on is that uh, gender reveal parties are a scourge on the nation. Yes. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that's really one of the they fires, should right? not happen. <laughs> Uh, yeah, one like one of the major fires in in California is because some people were having a gender reveal party, and part of that is sometimes people like set off like pyrotech like pyrotech like smoke bombs, and it it's the it's the it's blue or pink, depending on the gender the the assigned gender of the child, which right that this, in itself okay, is so, creepy, but yeah. explosives. In during a drought in the middle of the like, yeah, it's pretty. You idiots pretty, have it like people. People have cakes and they cut open the cake and it's a different color. Do that. Don't use explosives. Yeah. Right in wildfire season. Learn learn the lesson of those folks in was it Arizona two years ago who did the same thing. Jesus. Yes. <laughs> well, here's here's a question I'm asking for all my my. Um, questioning friends. Um, uh-huh. So when you have a gender reveal party and your child is born intersex, what color smoke do you do? Uh, it's a gender reveal party, so you choose. Yeah, someone I, chooses. I, okay. I think. I it, mean, it's a it, like it is. It is a binary choice for a gender like a gender reveal reveal party. It is a binary choice. Right. They are saying this is what the sex of the child is. So. They, I, I guess, they just assign, like usual, they would assign the child just uh, a gender, and and they then they go buy explosives or something. I, I think when uh-huh. when the College of Cardinals has made up its mind, it's they 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 burn white smoke, white smoke, and when they're still oh, trying to figure okay. out the kid's gender, then it's black smoke. So I think that's uh, I think that's how it goes. Black smoke, yeah, right. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's you know, exactly inter- how it goes. intersex folks are both, so they could they could probably uh-huh. do sort of a pinky blue. Or something purpley, something. Or they could just do green. Anyway. Yeah, or any I, color, or no color, or not yeah. have a gender reveal party because they're weird. Yeah, I saw. <laughs> I, I saw. You a, mean the uh, gender reveal parties, not intersex people. Gender reveal party is freaking weird. Just I, have a baby yeah, shower. The I, love of Christ. I I I completely agree. And I I I saw uh, uh, an opinion piece, and I I don't know how true the, the the central claim was but the, the woman who wrote it said look you know like i'm one of the people who got this whole gender reveal party thing started and i'm really sorry and it's stupid people should stop doing it i did it because i was having tremendous you know i i'd had a bunch of miscarriages so the first time i actually had you know was bringing a child far enough to term where we could tell what the what what sex appar- uh, apparently was i had a big party about it because i was excited <laughs> it's like Okay, that I, I that makes sense. <laughs> yep. <You yeah>. know? <laughs> but it's been bastardized into the whatever this is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wh- whether yeah. or not the parents are married or not. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Oh, sorry, right? The use of the original term. I'm uh, so slow today, Mike. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, like it's a it's a term that used to be a really big deal. And, and maybe it is in some circles, but I'm just like, who cares? You know, yeah. like so many things, who cares? Who cares if the kid is uh, going to be a boy or a girl, if the parents are 
have signed a piece of paper or had a church ceremony or not. I mean, whatever. Yeah. You know, it's not my. Well, business. I think our I think our culture's changing, and I hope I hope it is, and yeah. it'll be interesting to see if climate change. You know, this is quite a shock to our system. The economy's in rough, rough shape. You know, a mm. lot of people, I just, as you know, I got laid off myself. And, um, you know, a lot of people are struggling financially, and it feels like it's a turning point. You know, it feels like it could be a turning point where people get a little more, have a little more common sense about what really matters, you know, what, what really is of value. And uh, I don't know, I guess we'll see. Of course, I always, you know, I'm, I'm older, so I always think you young people are going to save us. So, Yeah, I, I, I think that you're that. giving a lot, a lot more credit to people <laughs> than they deserve at the, in, in this instance. When it, um, comes, when it comes to the ballot box, uh, Sue, uh, to be honest, it really is going to come down to people in your generational cadre or whatever the we always term is. We always vote. We always vote. It's amazing. Once you yeah. get over about 55. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody votes. Yeah, it's, well, it's because we have nothing else to do, right? So I should. <laughs> <laughs> you have time we, and money. We work the polls. Yeah. We work the polls and we collect the. Well, and a lot of the polls are going to have trouble getting coverage just because people don't want to get exposure right now. So. Mm -hmm. So it's good when you young people want to work the polls. Good for you. I would, I would, I would actually volunteer to work the polls if if I could. Yeah. But I'm, yeah. you know. I I, I can't I can't be sick uh, so yeah. uh, I can't do it. But um, anybody that is healthy that can work polls, there will be a link on the website to see like if if you can in your area. Please look into it. Call your call your town hall, your city hall, whatever. See where you can work polls because it's vitally important because there will be yep. so many people that will want to vote in person and they need to be taken care of. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll see. We, we, we were wondering early while we were off the air, whether or not, you know, when the election results will come in on the third, depending on your state and which, you know, whether you, it can be the day of the election or your absentee or uh, remote ballot can come in five days later. I mean, all that is different in every state and it's very confusing. And I think the post office actually sent something out nationwide that was not correct. I saw a piece on that. Oh, that, you that know, it was basically, yeah, stating that um, based, uh, it, it sort of put down the rules, but they aren't the same rules for every state. And the right, post suggesting office just, if, you, if you want an absentee ballot, you need to request it. But some states you don't have to bother because they send it automatically. They're sending it. Yeah. Like and Massachusetts. It's, so it's confusing. Yeah. And they were saying it was especially confusing in Michigan, which is going to be a, you know, a state that's going to be in contention probably. And, yeah. and the post office has actually muddied the waters. I don't know whether it was intentional or not, but, you know, so people are, people are trying to rectify it, but it, it just, once you've confused people, it's hard to get the second chance to tell them what the real rule is. So I hope, I hope the state of Michigan is doing something to make sure people are aware what their rules are. Well, and and I, so there are times when the the divided sovereignty of our federal model, um, you know, where you have federal and state governments, and they have different sort of powers and, and abilities, uh, there are times when that's really really helpful. Um, for example, the 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 damage that Donald Trump's been able to do has been limited. Because, uh, you know, the states have authority over a bunch of things. 
But on the and other hand, resisted. Yeah. <clears throat> right. But on the other hand, it also means that uh, you get stuff like the problems with voting or with unemployment benefits, because every state has its own unemployment system. Uh, and there are, uh, you know, and every state ultimately, you know, constitutionally is responsible for running its own elections. And, you know, we, we need to have some more uniformity. We need to have like a general federal standard for, uh, you know, election security and, you know, registration and sending out ballots and how long it can be before, a, a you know, like what the deadline is on getting a ballot in and like if it's postmarked on election day, is that good enough? That kind of thing. Um, yeah. And same, same with unemployment benefits because some states, you know, uh, uh, the unemployment benefits are, you know, utterly inadequate to the needs of the people. So, so uh, Sue, you're a small government uh, conservative and we've only <laughs> got like about, you know, four or five minutes left at most. So, uh, <laughs> Go explain why uh, that's good or bad. I don't know. <laughs> well, government is good. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, um, well, you know, it's interesting because I was sort of conflating the U.S. Post Office with the federal government, and they are a separate and independent entity. Yeah. And it's good. It's good that they are. But I, I do think that we sometimes the federal government really gets involved in things and mucks around in things that they they have no business in. And I, you know, I, I'm scrambling right this moment to look for a good example of that. But I, I, you know, I understand sometimes that we discover a state is doing something really bad and you really want the feds to stop in and, you know, step in and do something about it. But it does feel like sometimes the feds tell us to do things and it doesn't make any sense sort of locally or on a, you know, on a local level. And and some of that is, well, like you just raised the minimum wage question. So do you bring the minimum wage up for the city of New York differently than you do for Western Mass? You know, I don't really know the answer to that. Because our economy, you know, things are a little ch cheaper here. Well, they used to be. They're not anymore. But, you know, if things are a little cheaper here than living in New York, um, they were saying that the folks that work in, um, in uh, Silicon Valley – now they're working remotely. So a lot of the Silicon Valley companies are saying, well, if you're working, you know, if you're working from Idaho, we don't have to pay you this big salary. We can actually cut back. You know, we're going to let you keep doing that. But because you don't have to rent an apartment in San Francisco, you know, this, this is, we're going to change the deal. And people are horrified by that. And it's sort of like they're acknowledging that if you have to live in a, you know, a, an expensive state, you have to pay people more to attract them, but if they're not actually moving there, you know, it, does that change the, the formula? And I think we're going to rethink all of that. So I haven't really answered your question. I apologize. I will probably have a better, a better answer, but I do think that the feds are duplicating things that the States do better. I, I'm sure and, that's uh, true in some cases, but it's certainly, I think the issue of the minimum wage, for example, is a, is a great instance of where, are we one country or 50 states? And, yep. you know, yes, things are more expensive in New York than they are in, you know, Alabama. Biloxi, Mississippi. Right. But on the other hand, that's another way of saying there's more poverty in Alabama than in New York. And so we can get away with paying people less because they're grateful for, for the work 
you know, it's, it's the same kind of logic that sees uh, companies outsourcing jobs to Mexico because we can pay Mexicans less. And so that saves us money. And that just enables, you know, competition and poverty and uh, helps keep the, uh, the, the vast majority of people who are, you know, working for wages and, you know, have no choice but to be employees to uh, well, some, uh, sort of have to, to suck it up and deal. It, it, it disempowers them, you know? Well, some of it's poverty, but there's also, you know, the economies, the economists do all these calculations, like you have to pay for heating oil and, you know, in New England and you have these yeah. other costs that they, I mean, they impute, the feds actually go through a big process and, and sort of set cost of living rates in different arenas. And then they set the cost of Medicare is going to pay doctors for working. So like a doctor in Boston gets paid a lot more than a doctor in Western Mass. And we're all of, you know, what, an hour and a half, two hours away. Mm. And, you know, so we have trouble recruiting docs because we're not paid like Albany. You know, the docs in Albany are paid a lot more. But that whole calculation, I mean, it's, it is some of its poverty, but some of its cost of living stuff that actually isn't just about differences yeah. in income. It's, you know, it's housing stock and, you know, it's demand and supply. It's, there's a lot of factors in there. So, you know, the poverty level in mass is, is different than the poverty level in other states. I mean, what the feds call the, um, the actual poverty level is, is different. So, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough one to tease out a little bit. But I yeah. grant you that some of it is basically taking advantage of people who don't have other choices. Wow, no. and and I just noticed the time. So I'm so uh, you you got the last word on that. Uh, we'll have to Woo! leave it there. Um, but this has been civil politics here on Valley Free Radio. Uh, we've got a great mix of music coming up uh, next, uh, starting with Subculture, uh, followed by Table of Contents in OK Asia, and uh, there'll be a podcast of our show uh, available on the various services over the weekend, and uh, that uh, a repeat on uh, Monday afternoon at four. So thank you all for listening to Civil Politics here on Valley Free Radio. We'll be back next week to talk about ballot questions. Good night. Civil Politics is a member of the Planetside Podcast Network. To learn more, go to planetsidepodcasts.com.